Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. We're on the penultimate letter of the seven letters in Revelation today, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. That's Revelation chapter 3 verses 7 to 13. And you might like to have a a, a listen or a read of the passage before we begin, uh, just to, to refresh your memory, to remind you of what's in the passage. And just to say once again that um, I've nearly finished the series on the Ten Commandments on YouTube. That's not on the podcast, but it is available on YouTube. And if you haven't checked that out yet and you'd like to, the links will be down in the description below. Also to say that you can support Understand the Bible by becoming a Patreon. I do appreciate that. And that, again, the links will be down in the description below. So thanks so much, everyone, for joining me. Thanks for supporting Understand the Bible. If you do have a moment, I'd really appreciate as well if you could leave a rating on your podcast provider, maybe a review if you're allowed to, as that does help new people to find Understand the Bible too. And don't forget to share it with your friends as well. So God bless everyone. I hope to see you again next week for the next next one and do enjoy the sermon. So we often encounter red lights in life, don't we? And um, I know that at the moment out there, the, there aren't too many of them. Um, it, there was a phase a few weeks ago when it seems like there were red lights all over the town, weren't there? And you know, wherever you drove, there was some temporary road work and you'd have to stop and wait for it and um, it gets a bit annoying. Um, it's not too bad when it comes to driving, but I think in, in life, there are all sorts of things which can cause us to have what seems like red lights. Um, and particularly when it comes to things like, you know, if we encounter um, opposition in, in the Christian life, if we encounter opposition, if we uh, encounter things which cause us difficulty in our circumstances, all of those sorts of things. And uh, what do we do in times like that? And that's what I think this letter here is is thinking about, looking at the situation of the church in Philadelphia. Now, just to put this into context, I found it really helpful. I've been reading through my little um, commentary on on Revelation and just having a bit of context about the cities that um, John and that, that Jesus is writing to actually is is really helpful um, Philadelphia it was a, a city which knew quite a lot of insecurity um, and um, it was had a lot of earthquakes there so there was an earthquake which um, took out a lot of the city in about 60 AD I think but there were quite a lot of earthquakes um, uh, which had, had um, affected the city and economically as well there was a lot of um, economic insecurity as well. It was very dependent on agriculture. Um, and apparently there's a modern day city there, which I think is in Turkey, I can't remember the name, but they're still known for their fresh food market and their raisins. Um, so um, there we go, it's still, still there today. Um, so that's the context of Philadelphia, which may, uh, may help us to understand a bit more about the letter in, as we go through. So what does it say? And it begins in the same way as all the letters have done. These are the words of him who is holy and true. Holy and true are like, you know, titles. Um, Like, you know, in the the Old Testament, you may know the the Holy One of Israel is a very common title which is used of of God. And um, it says, who holds the key of David what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. 
Now, I, I think I said a few weeks ago that Revelation has got more allusions to the Old Testament than there are verses in Revelation. There are an awful lot of them. And this one is almost a direct quote from Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, which says this, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So what is this, uh, this talking about? Talking about the house of David, the, the line of David, the descendants, the, if you like, the, the, the Israel, you know, the king and the, the Israel of God. So that's what he is talking about here. He has the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus talked about in the Gospels, isn't it? The keys of the kingdom. So when he says, uh, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I think what he's really talking about is the access to God, is the, that way to God, that at the end of the day, only Jesus can open or shut that way, because he is the only way. And that's what he, he carries on there in um, uh, verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. He repeats it again. So what, what does he really intend to say through this? And why is he saying this to the church in Philadelphia? I think it would help if we look back to John's gospel, to what Jesus says in John. John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So what's, what is Jesus saying there? I am the, the gate, I am the door. What's he saying there? I am the gate for salvation. I'm the gate for salvation so that anyone who comes to him will find God's salvation. And he says, uh, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he is the, the path, the door to fullness of life. He is the door to the, uh, the kind of life that only God can give. And I think this is why Jesus wants to, to say this to the church in Philadelphia, because as, as we, we will see, they were a church that was encountering um, opposition and persecution. And this is actually the, only the, um, one of the, the only two letters of the seven in Revelation where there's no rebuke. There's no rebuke, as it was in the second letter as well. There's no rebuke for the church in Philadelphia. Perhaps they were thinking we are, this is not true life. You know, maybe they were thinking the persecution that we're experiencing is a, is a red light, is a closed door. Maybe the opposition or, or whatever it was that they were encountering was like a closed door to them. And Jesus says, no, I am the door. I've set before you a door that no one can close. And that is the path to life. And that's why I think he focuses them on this. And we'll think more about that in a moment. Um, so he goes on, he says, um, 
I know that you have little strength. And I, I love that because you know, in, in the Bible, having little strength is not a bad thing, actually. In fact, the problem is, very often, when we have, we think we've got a lot of strength, and that's a bigger problem. So just in the next letter, for example, to the church in Laodicea, uh, he says in um, verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. So they, they thought that they had everything, they thought they didn't need God, and that was their problem. The church in Philadelphia had little strength. They knew they had to depend on God's strength. And that was a good thing. That was a good place to be when they know that they weren't doing things. They weren't self-reliant. They weren't doing things on their own strength. It's interesting in the Bible, I often find, how, how often a material poverty goes together with a spiritual awareness and material riches go together with a kind of spiritual um, blindness, if, if you like. And um, often I think being poor materially, it's not that being poor is a virtue as such, but it just helps us to understand how we are before God. And that if we have too much in a material sense, it can actually mean that we are self-reliant. So being poor, having little strength is not a bad thing at all in the Bible, so long as we depend, therefore, on God. And he says to them, um, uh, you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. As Jesus says, um, anyone who acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before my Father uh, in heaven. And that's, uh, that's what we need to do. And it would have been a hard thing to do in an area where there was quite a strong Jewish presence the temptation to compromise would have been quite big when the, the Jewish people there would have been saying, well, you know, um, coming back at them on the scriptures and saying to them, well, this is, what about this from the Old Testament, uh, what we call the Old Testament, you know. And, and there would have been temptation to go along with them. And so that's why he goes on, uh, verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not. Um, we've already encountered this once before, again, in the second letter uh, to the church in Smyrna, he mentions the synagogue of Satan as well. So we won't go into that um, again. But the persecution that they, they were experiencing from, from the Jews at the time. And he says, um, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So their faithfulness to God, in spite of the persecution that they were experiencing, in spite of the difficulties that they were experiencing, would be vindicated. And that Jesus says, I will make them come and acknowledge that even through this time, I have loved you. Let's take a moment to think about that. You know, that, think about the love of the Lord Jesus. You know, we often sing in Little Fishes, you know, with the toddler group, you know, the love of Jesus is so wonderful. And um, it's true, isn't it? But do we think that even in, even in the difficult times, you know, I have loved you? I think that's something which is really important, isn't it? And, um, and so he says, the verse 10 there, since you've kept my command uh, I, uh, to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial. Um, what does he mean here? It's not, 
it's not exactly clear what he means, but it seems to me that from the rest of the book of Revelation, there's no promise that God will keep us, will spare us from difficult times. And we know that from our experience, don't we? That, you know, we are not spared from difficult times. So what does, what does this mean? I think what this means is that, that trials and, and tests, they're an opportunity for us to put our faith and trust in God or to, to turn away from God and to put our faith and trust in other things. And I think what he's saying here is that this, the trials, the tests will reveal who it is who actually trusts in God. And what we need to do through this time is to endure patiently because there are always hours of trial in the world, aren't there? And I think we're living through one at the moment, um, you know, with what's happening in, uh, in Ukraine and many of the, the difficulties that are happening. Do we endure patiently? If we endure patiently, we will see, that we will be vindicated. And so the, the letter closes out then, verses 11 to 13. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on. And that's the message of Revelation, really. Um, hold on. Jesus is coming soon. Hold on. Don't give up. Remember that whatever happens in the world, whatever happens, Jesus is the victor. So we need to hold on to him. And he says, um, I will, um, one who's victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. Apparently in those days, um, some of the, the temples that were built had the names of the gods written on them. And if you think about it, in a city which was known for its earthquakes, then, you know, pillars could be, that upheld the building would be the first thing to go, wouldn't they, in an earthquake? And I, I just like that this little touch, you know, again, that Jesus, you know, sort of making the, what he says appropriate to the circumstances of the city, saying that, you know, you do have a secure future because, you know, God's name will be written on, on you. And he says there, will, there won't be any more of those, the insecurity, the earthquakes, but actually you will be secure and I will uphold you. That's the future that awaits for those who hold on, who endure patiently and who hold on to the Lord Jesus, a secure future. So let's, uh, as we draw to, um, to a close of this passage, let's just take a moment to think about what we can take into this coming week from this passage, what can we learn, what can we be thinking about? I think the important thing is that when we are at red lights and you know, we feel like perhaps there are doors that have shut uh, or you know, we're waiting perhaps even for doors to open, whatever that may be, that what matters is faithfulness. What matters is, is holding on. The path to life is faith in Jesus Christ. That's the path to true life. And perhaps, you know, the, the Jews of this, as he calls it, the synagogue of Satan, perhaps they've been saying, well, look at us, you know, we've got money, perhaps we've got an easy life. Why don't you come over to us? Because we've got the blessings. And actually, what Jesus says is, no, I am the door. I am the path to life. And that door, no one can shut. That's the door which no one can shut, regardless of our earthly circumstances.
regardless of what opposition there may be in this life or what persecution or trouble there may be, that no door at the end of the day can be closed to God. That God always, he takes a different way. Now the other day I was just um, watching something on, um, on YouTube and something caught my eye. It was about um, how you know, God takes a different way to the way that we would take. And uh, I, I was really struck by this. I thought it was a very good illustration. He was talking about David. Before David was made king, you know, God promised that David would be king one day. But then, on the way, the, you know, the road to, to that happening was not a smooth road, was it? And Saul wanted to kill David and, and so on. And he, he quoted this incident. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 21. Um, I'll read verses 12 and 13. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. This was the David who God had promised would be king over Israel. And um, the, the, the man I was, um, uh, I was looking at said, you know, imagine that you're, you're running the, you know, the campaign, um, David for King of Israel campaign, and you, uh, just at this moment, when you're watching David feign insanity and the you know, dribble coming down his beard and so on, you get a call from the leading sponsor of the campaign saying, how's it all going, the David for King of Israel? And you, you would think, oh yeah, great. <laughs> um, God takes a different way, doesn't he? God knew what he was doing. I've set before you a door that no one can shut. It was faithfulness that David carried on, which enabled him to continue. And what God promised would happen, did happen. Even though it went through, I often think God is like, you know those buses that go all the way around the houses sometimes, and there are the direct buses, and then there are those buses that go around every single housing estate, it seems, and you feel like you're out miles away from where you want to be before you get there. I think God likes to take that route, but he does it to show that the power comes from him, not from us. To show that actually that we are, we are weak, that we need him, um, but that the promises, the power to fulfil God's promises doesn't come from us, but it comes from him. So what we need to do is to endure patiently and to stay faithful. We need to hold on to what we've got. We need to hold on to Jesus. And even though it may seem like God takes a different road to what we expect, there's a door which no one can shut. And that's the door, the doorway to the Father, the doorway to God. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's help. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have set before us a doorway that no one can shut. Uh, the path to to life, the path to true life in Jesus Christ. And even though um, for all of us, Lord, we know that uh, it's difficult to see that sometimes, we know that you take um, ways which we don't understand sometimes. We thank you that you always know um, the way that you are taking. And we pray that you would help us to have a humble uh, trust in you, knowing our own weakness and dependence. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to seek you and depend on you every day and trust in you even when we can't 
um, make sense of what's happening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.